Today we're starting a brand new series together. It's called The Missing Peace. Can we say that together? The Missing Peace. And sometimes things in our life go missing. And I have a little confession to start our series with. For me personally, I lose a whole lot of things. Anybody else? Like you lose wallets, you lose phones, you lose kids. Well, there was a period of time where I struggled with passports. And when I was 16 years old, I went on a mission trip to Brazil. I got a passport, my first passport ever. Actually, my dad went and got the passport. He signed the passport. So for multiple years, I tried to mimic my dad's signature of my signature. And that passport worked for a little while, but I was going on another trip with Stacy right after we got married in 2003, and I realized I had lost my first passport. And so I had to go get a second passport, and now I had a second passport, which was great, but when I got back from my trip, I found my first passport, so now I had two passports. And this was great. It worked for a little while. I went on a few more trips overseas, and my passport was working just fine until I was about to go on another trip and I went to find that second passport and I couldn't find that second passport, so I had to go get a third passport. So now I had three passports and I ended up on a CIA list with Jason Bourne. It was awesome. <laughs> and so actually this happened to me one more time and I had a fourth passport. And this passport they would actually only give me for one year, so I had one year on this passport. And I was about to go on another trip with Stacy, and about three days before that trip, I went to pull out that passport. I actually had saved it this time. I was, felt so good about myself until I opened it up and realized that it had expired. So I actually had to go to the consulate. So I set up an appointment two days before my trip. I drove from San Jose, where I lived at the time, up to San Francisco, and I went into the consulate's office with all five of my passports. And I walked up to the counter, this poor gal, when I got there, I said, hi, my name is Andy, and I have issues with passports. And what I want to let you know is, actually, I'm not a bad guy. Uh, I've lost multiple passports, and somehow, every time I lose a passport, I find the old passport. So here are all five of my passports. And I know, actually, you have the authority to give me what I need. I want to go on a trip with my wife in two days, and I need a passport. But I also know that if you were to do what I'm asking you to do, that it would not be justice. So I want you to know right now in this moment, what I'm asking from you is not for justice. What I'm asking for from you is mercy. So I want to beg you, would you please give me mercy right now and another passport? So she walks away. She goes and gets her supervisor. She's gone for like 15 to 20 minutes. I'm prepared to go to prison at this point. And finally, she walks back out with her supervisor, and he's like, uh, sir, excuse me, tell me your story again. So I go through my story, and I just said, please, 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 will you give me a passport? And by the grace of God, he gave me a passport. <laughs> now, why do I tell you that story? Maybe you've lost a passport. We can resonate on that. But I tell you that story because isn't it true when you lose something, you will do whatever it takes to find the thing that you've lost? whether it is a wallet or it's keys or it's your earpieces, your headphones, that you'll do whatever it takes to find the thing that you've lost. And there's an immediate anxiety that you feel. You're willing to spend money, you're willing to give energy and time to find the thing that you've lost. And I would suggest today that so many of us, the thing that we are missing in our lives is peace. That we are lacking in our world peace. There's so much chaos around us from 
war that is happening in Eastern Europe, to inflation that is on the rise, to so many of us in our lives that experience financial chaos and experience loss in our lives. And the question that we want to deal with this series is, how can I experience peace in the midst of chaos? How can I have peace in my life when I just lost my job? Or how can I have peace in my life? How can you experience that peace when you found out that your spouse has cancer? Or how can you have peace when you're struggling in your relationship with your parents or your kids? Or you continue in a situation as a roommate with somebody that you just cannot live with? How do you get peace in the midst of chaos? What I want you to do is I want you to imagine your life like this. This is you inside your little world. And if you'll pull out your notes, I want you to write this circle down. This is you in your little world. And in your world, there's all kinds of things that are happening in your world. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are a lot of things inside of our world or inside of our domain and really on our periphery that affect our ability to live with peace. And these things that affect our ability to live with peace include stuff like trouble, where you have an unforeseen circumstance that you could not have predicted this year in your life, and there's an anxiety that builds as a result of that. Perhaps some of you this year, along with myself and our family, you've experienced transition. And many of us as a Saddleback family, if you've been here for a long time, this is the biggest change to go from a leader who's been here for 42 years and now you have a new leader and you're like, well, will I like this guy? Will I like his family? Will he do a good job? Will he run the church into the ground? All kinds of questions that go through your mind. So transition can cause us to live with anxiety. Perhaps you have stress or you've moved this year. There are trials in our lives. And sometimes those trials in include health issues that we face. Maybe for some of you, you have an ailing body and there are just these issues that you, you feel like you can't get over. There are financial trials and challenges with inflation. On top of that, there's tension. Sometimes that tension is in our homes. It's with our finances. It's with our relationships. And all of this is at play in our lives. And we just want a little bit of peace. And us, in our circumstances, we long to have a sense of calm, a sense of peace from all of the difficulty in our lives. And that's what we're gonna talk about for the next four weeks. How do you get peace in the midst of your chaos? And I wanna say this, some of you maybe will be a little bit discouraged with this statement, but I want you to imagine for a moment if nothing in your circumstances changes, how do you get peace in your life? And when you read the Bible, there's so many moments where you're like, maybe the Bible doesn't understand my circumstances and my situation. Like in Philippians 4, 6, when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. It's like, anything? Don't be anxious about my financial challenges. Don't be anxious about my health issues. Don't be, Paul, do you know what my family's like? I mean, do you know what my uncle's like at the holidays and my family of origin? You, you don't know my roommate. But Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And that's a strong statement for us. And sometimes the disparity between the chaos and the brokenness in our lives and the peace that Jesus taught about and the Bible teaches about is, is so far from what we're experiencing. Now, Jesus would make a statement in John 14, 27 that really is a foundation for our series. And he says this, I'm leaving you with a gift. And the gift that I am giving to you is peace of mind and peace of heart. There's a gift that Jesus wants to give to you this holiday season. And it's the gift of peace in your mind and peace in your heart. And notice what Jesus says here. 
Jesus says, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give to you. He's saying that your circumstances or the world around you is not going to be able to provide the solution that you're looking for. This is a peace that I give on the inside. So don't be troubled or afraid. I am the prince of peace, Jesus is, ultimately declaring to us that there is hope through relationship with him that we can experience his peace. But when we look at our lives, again, there's a disparity. There's chaos in our world. Statistics show us, listen to some of these stats. There are currently 40 million adults who are affected by anxiety disorders every single year just in the United States alone. That's not just a U.S. problem, it's a global problem. Every one of our international campuses face the same challenge. Anxiety is on the rise. One out of every three teens will experience an anxiety disorder at some point. And if I think about the teens that I've been around, it it may even be higher than this number here. Only 36.9% of those with anxiety disorders are receiving the treatment that they need. That means over six out of 10 people who struggle with mental health around anxiety do not get the resources, do not get the help that they need. And here at Saddleback, we wanna do everything that we can to resource people who are in these places with their life. And some of you today, that's where you are. You've tried, you've looked, and you just cannot find the help that you need. There's another disarming stat about the financial reality. The effects of anxiety and depression combined cost the global economy one trillion US dollars every single year. So this global problem is spread. It impacts companies, it impacts families, according to the World Health Organization. Anxiety and depression have increased by over 50% 50 over a 23 year period of time. So that means that anxiety is on the rise, chaos is on the rise, brokenness is on the rise, and here at Saddleback, we wanna do everything that we can to help you with that. And I'll, I'll say on the front end, I am just a pastor, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a trained therapist, but we have some amazing people here at Saddleback who are trained. If you at some point this week would go to saddleback.com care, we have some resources there that this series will not be able to unpack but for the next four weeks, I wanna do the best I can to help you with anxiety, with stress, to step into greater levels of peace. And if I'm honest with you, the problem is not out there. It's a personal problem for me. In fact, anxiety for me was an issue that started to emerge when I was a very young child. I remember being 10 years old when my parents had separated and my mom moved from Michigan where I grew up to North Carolina And I would travel to visit my mom multiple times throughout the year. And my brother Josh and I, we would go down to North Carolina. And I have these vivid memories of sitting on an airplane next to my brother Josh, both of us going back to Michigan in tears, and that emptiness that we would feel. And I remember sitting there on the airplane with my little brother, putting my arm around him, and there was this phrase that slipped into my mind. And this phrase was, you have to be strong for your brother. You need to take responsibility to help him in this moment. And there's a part of that responsibility, which is a good thing, but that responsibility, if it's, if it's not checked, can become over-responsibility. To the point when I was a 12-year-old, my dad took me to a therapist, and I remember sitting in a therapist's office, describing my challenges with my parents' divorce, and the therapist said to my dad, I have deep concerns for Andy because he assumes so much responsibility for the things that are around him. Way too much responsibility for a 12-year-old. 
And circumstantially, over the course of my life, that responsibility turned into a form of anxiety that when there's a problem, if you have a problem, yo, I'll solve it, check out the hook. Well, my DJ, I'm sorry, I needed to throw in some ice ice baby for you. But, but when there's a problem, I'm like the kind of guy, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll help with the problem, I'll solve the problem. And what can happen is that responsibility part of me makes me worry and makes me feel, be filled with anxiety. Even in this whole transition here, moving from the church we pastored to Saddleback and all the staff and all, all the responsibilities, there are so many moments where, days where I'm waking up at 3.30 a.m. just thinking about all the responsibilities that are on my plate. And if I'm honest with you, this is a challenge for me. Now, some of you, maybe you're gonna check out and say, this guy can't help me. I, I need somebody who's a real pastor. Um, but, but perhaps for some of you, to know that there's another person that struggles just like you, to know that you're not alone and to know that there is hope, to know that you can get through it and to know that you're gonna be okay, I want to do my very best through my challenges to share with you what God has done to help me with my anxiety. I have not conquered it. I live with this challenge, but God helps me through it. And by his grace, there is hope for you. There is hope for me. So I wanna begin with a definition. And the definition, or the question is, what is peace? So we're gonna start with a definition to help us move towards a solution. And the definition of peace is this. Peace is an ordered and blessed life coming from a rested internal state. And I'm deriving my definition out of the original word that is used for peace in the Greek in the New Testament, where it talks about order and well-being and salvation of the whole person. So it's an ordered and blessed life that comes from a rested internal state. And I want you for a moment to look at that last word, an internal state. And a part of the problem so often in our lives when it comes to anxiety, the reason that we're losing the battle is because we're fighting the battle on the wrong field. We're fighting the battle on the outside, hoping that changing our circumstances will give us peace on the inside. But the battle for peace is always won on the inside. It's an inside game. So transformation comes when I can get peace in the deepest places of my heart. I'll explain it like this. Uh, back when my son, Cademan, was like fifth or sixth grade, it was one of those moments where all the parents are gathered together for the basketball league for YMCA, and there was no coach. And they come out, and the YMCA is like, we don't have a coach, we need a parent, and responsibility, I feel it. And as he's looking around, I'm like, okay, I've never coached, I'll do it. And so I signed up one time. Never again <laughs> will I coach my son's team. Because he didn't listen to me which meant that nobody listened to me. It was like herding cats the whole time I coached. And you know, I'm convinced that in hell they play middle school basketball. Like it is, it's, a, it's really bad. And so I tried to coach and I learned like it's hard to shoot, it's hard to pass, it's hard to dribble, but I, I actually noticed that whoever got the rebound won. So I said to the kids, I'm like, hey listen, just get under the basket and grab the ball and throw it up, like that's all. If it comes, if you're on your side, on the right side, and the ball comes down, just get in the inside and get the rebound, and if you do that, we'll win. And so it actually worked for us. We won the inside game. Now the point that I'm making is if you fight the battle or you play the game on the outside, you end up losing the battle. 
The war is won for peace on the inside. Another way to say it is there's no external solution for internal chaos. There's no external solution for internal chaos. So I can manipulate my environment. I can be alone for multiple days. And sometimes I'll even think, if I could just be alone, no kids, no responsibilities, no, no problems, then I would have peace. But the problem for me is wherever I go, there I am. So wherever I am, my problem follows me. So peace is something that is, comes from the inside out. Another way of explaining it is through this diagram, and I want you to write this down. There's a place in your notes for this, just to draw this little diagram, that when you think of you, there are multiple domains to you. And I wanna start with your head or your thinking, the way that you think is the starting point to peace. And from your head or your thoughts, you're influencing your heart, your emotions are transformed by the way that you think. And emotions are symptoms of what's happening on the inside. So as you think, you can influence your heart and then ultimately your home, your family, the environment that you're in, your relationships at your place of work, your environment is influenced, and then finally, humanity or the world. And I want us to think about this series or this paradigm from the inside out. So we're gonna take four weeks to look at these different domains. We're gonna talk today about the head, Next week we're gonna go to humanity and we're gonna work our way back in and on our Christmas services, Christmas Eve services, we'll be talking about peace for our hearts. But the big idea for the series is this, that in order to experience transformation at the deepest places of our lives, what we need is we need to get God's presence and God's truth, God's presence and his truth into the deepest places. And we're gonna start with our thinking today to get God's truth and his presence, and from there, it will emanate out to bring peace to the rest of our lives. And to help us, we're gonna look today at a very powerful passage of scripture found in Philippians chapter four. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Paul begins this thought, and he says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. That's not fair, Paul. I mean, again, have you seen my life? I have reasons to not be happy. Anybody else find that there's always a reason to not be happy? There's always something that's wrong. And Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Notice he says in the Lord. So it's not in your circumstances that you're rejoicing, but you can always rejoice in the Lord. Now for me and for people like me, Paul says it twice. He says I'll say it again, rejoice. So you need to hear it twice because this is truth for your life. Rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances, so in all seasons. So Paul, writing from a cold prison cell, not knowing his future, not knowing if he might lose his life for his faith in Jesus, makes the statement, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And then he continues, let your gentleness be evident to all. So let the peace that comes from the inside influence the way that you treat people. Let your gentleness be evident in every relationship that you have. So when you have that peace inside, it should influence the environment. You, you and I wanna become peacemakers wherever we go. And Paul gives us the solution right here. So he's gonna give us the hinge pin solution, and then he's gonna get very practical to how we live it out. And listen to his words. He says, for the Lord is near. It's a proximity point. Paul is saying, from a prison cell, it might be cold, it might be dark, 
I might be in pain physically, I might not know my future, but one thing I do know is right here in this prison cell is the presence of the living God. The Lord is near to me. And somebody today, you need to hear that, that he's there with you in cancer. He's there with you in divorce. He's there with you in loss. He's there with you in inflation. He's there with you in the midst of your frustration and brokenness. The Lord is near. The Prince of Peace is here. And this is the solution to a lack of internal peace. This is the solution Paul is saying to the chaos in your heart. The Lord is near. Now, there's some things that you can do, though, Paul says. There are actually some responsibilities that you and I have in this whole journey towards peace. And I want you to see what he says next. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I want to read it one more time, and you might underline a couple of these words. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now that word anxious is important. That word anxious shows up multiple times in the New Testament. This is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Do you not know that your heavenly father, he knows every hair on your head, and there's not a sparrow that falls from the sky that he doesn't see. There's not a lily of the valley. And if all the lilies of the valley are clothed with such splendor, how much more will your heavenly Father clothe you and care for you? So do not worry. And that's so beautiful that anxiety so often we forget that there is a good God that cares for us, that is near, that loves us. So Paul is saying to us, don't be anxious. But this word Paul uses a couple other times and when he uses that word other times, it, it actually has a different meaning. And I want you to see this. It says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. So that word care is also anxiety. It's the same word that is translated for anxiety. All the others care only for themselves and for what matters to Jesus Christ. And this is important because sometimes we get confused. Your care mechanism is built into you from God. So God has made you as a human. It's human to care. It's human to have a sense of responsibility about the pain and the issues in our world. But that care very quickly, if it's not careful, can drift into anxiety. So Paul uses these words and it's important to distinguish between care and anxiety. Let me give you another place where it shows up. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 and 25. He says, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and Care are given to those parts that have less dignity. So when you use your gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has placed inside of you, you're caring as a body. The church is a body, and we care for one another. We serve one another. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. So how do we distinguish between care and anxiety? This is important, and I want you to write this down. Anxiety is different than concern. Anxiety is continual. So it's this constant spiral with no solution. You ever have this happen before where you get a problem stuck in your mind and you start thinking about the solution to that problem and you go around the track of that problem and you look at it from multiple different angles and then when you get to the other side, it's like you're at the same point to where you started with no solution. 
And anxiety, what it does is it makes you circle. People said the, the quote in Forrest Gump, you know, wor worries like a rocking chair, rock, rock, rock. Is that Forrest Gump? I don't know. Seems like it'd be Forrest Gump. Um, but somewhere I heard it. Worries like a rocking chair, rock, rock, rock. Go nowhere. You guys remember that? And that's what worry is, anxiety. It's like, it's continual. You rock, 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 back at the same place, you go nowhere. Now, on the other hand, concern is situational. So it's about a problem that can be solved. It's specific in nature. That's the next one. Anxiety is vague when concern is specific. So anxiety is just this vague sense, sense in our lives that like something's about to happen that is really bad. You ever have that? thought go through your mind. Like somebody's going to get hurt. I feel this sometimes with my kids. Somebody's going to get hurt really bad. Something's going to happen. And that vague sense of anxiety can begin to consume you where concern is specific. So anxiety says something bad's about to happen and concern says something good needs to happen. And it moves you towards action. In addition to this, anxiety reacts when concern responds. So anxiety, when it is heightened in our system, it changes the hardwiring of our brain. There's an extra level of energy. You'll, you're living tense, and then one thing happens, and it's like, ha, ah! like that. And sometimes in my house, my sneezes are so loud that everybody screams in my house. And I'm like, what's wrong with you guys? You're all anxious. Just relax. Um, concern responds. So anxiety reacts, and concern response. So this is different. It's, it's more of a calculated sense of wisdom. So it's when something happens, concern evaluates it, asks for God's perspective, and then responds. And then finally, last, is that anxiety obsesses while concern moves. Anxiety obsesses over a problem while concern moves towards a solution. So I want to go back through these in case you missed. Anxiety is continual, while concern is situational, anxiety is vague, while concern is specific. Anxiety reacts, while concern responds. Anxiety obsesses while concern moves. And what I have found is if I can separate these two, it helps me live with greater levels of wisdom. Is what I'm experiencing, I ask myself, with my heightened sense of responsibility, is this anxiety or is it God-given concern? And I want to move towards God-given concern, and I want to deal with the anxiety. Now, Paul gives us a solution to deal with the anxiety. And I want you to see his solution again. Let's come back to verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, what Paul is saying is the first solution is to bring your problem to God. So the first action that I can take, the first step I can take to come out of my anxiety is to talk to God about my problems. So I will take the step to talk to God about my issues, about my challenges, about my wor worries, and about my concerns. See, anxiety is me talking to me about my problem. And I find so often that when I talk to me about my problem and I'm stuck in the same loop, I'm not getting towards solution, but there's something distinct about when I come to God with my problem because he's a good father and he's a capable father who's able to care for us in our deepest places and deepest moments of need. This last week on Friday morning, I was heading out the door 
with my son Cademan, we go to breakfast on Friday mornings and we're going out the door to go to breakfast. And my daughter Karis runs up to me right as I'm about to go out the door and she says, Dad, it's my friend's birthday today and I don't have a gift for her. And she's got like this desperate look in her eyes, almost in tears. And she says, Dad, she, she got me a gift and I don't have a gift for her and I need a gift for her. And I'm like, well, there's, there's nothing I can do. I, I'm out the door right now. I, I'm sorry, babe. There's nothing I can do to help you. So I leave and I take my son came into breakfast. And, you know, dudes at breakfast, like we don't talk quite as long. It's a short, you know. So... Cademan and I, we had a short breakfast. I got him to school. I dropped him off, and I had a little bit of margin before she went to school. And I looked at my watch, and I'm like, okay, I think I can get to Target. I can get her a gift. So I'm running into Target, and I'm looking for these little squishy little slippers that she wants. And I call her on FaceTime. So I've got my nine-year-old daughter. I'm running through Target, like walking around in the little girl section. Everybody's thinking, who's that weird guy? Who's that weird pastor there looking? And... And I'm like showing her shoes. So I get the shoes and I run towards the cash register. I check out. I get to my car. I get in my car. I go the speed limit down the road. And I'm heading towards my wife diligently and faithfully without breaking the law. And as soon as I get there, like we have no, no time to spare. We pull into a parking lot, you know, break screech. She pulls up next to me, her, her side, my side. I throw the gift over. She gets the gift, gets to school, and saves the day for my daughter. Now, I tell you that story because if I, as a human, care so much about a small issue for my daughter, how much more does your heavenly father care about you? How much more does he carry, care about that thing that concerns your heart? He is capable to care for every problem that you have. And Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, bring your request to God. And I've found for me personally that there's something so potent and so powerful about the physical act of getting on my knees before God to recognize my need for his help. Psalm 95 verse six says, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. And I love these words because it says, for he is our God, we are the people he watches over. He, he cares for us, he watches over us. And when I'm on my knees, it's a physical reminder to my soul of my dependency upon God that I need his help, I need his grace, and I need his mercy. Can I challenge you this week to get on your knees if you are physically able to get on your knees and ask God for help, to come to him with your problem and pour out your heart to him. I find in addition to this, another practical thing that helps me is to pull out a piece of paper and just to start writing down all the things that are concerning me. And as I write those down on a piece of paper, I'll oftentimes hold up my journal or I'll look at my journal or lay my hands on it and just say, God, these problems right here, I need your intervention. I need your wisdom. I need you to do what only you can do. Heavenly Father, I lay my request before you as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So whatever you care about, whatever you're concerned about, your heavenly father cares about and he is concerned about and he wants you to bring it to him. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, worry or anxiety doesn't empty 
tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. So when I am talking to me about my problem, I am losing strength. But I find that when I'm bringing my problem to God, I grow in strength and I grow in peace because my confidence is increasing. He is with me and he is for me. He can solve the problem that is in front of me. He is faithful. But Paul continues, and it's not just me bringing my request to God. There's another aspect of this that he talks about, and that's thanking God for his help. So not only will I bring my problem to God, I will thank God for the help. And when Paul talks about thanking God for help, I believe that there are multiple facets to gratitude. There is past gratitude and looking at what God has done in my past, remembering his faithfulness, the time when I was hurting and he came through and comforted me, the time when I needed healing and he put his hand on my life and changed me, the time when I needed hope and he shined light into my darkness. And as I thank him for what he's done in the past, isn't it so true that when you're grateful, it's really hard to worry? Because gratitude, what it does is it fills your soul, it fills your mind with a reminder that there's a God who worked it out in the past and he's gonna work it out in the future. So I look back and I say, thank you, God, for your help here. And because of this, I'm going to thank you for what you're going to do in the future. And there, there's actually a power in this. When I look to the future and I say, God, I know you're going to do it again. You did it here. You're going to do it again. And my heart is filled with gratitude because of his faithfulness. Do not be anxious. Do not worry, Paul says. Take your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I wonder, what is it that God has done for you that you haven't thanked him for yet? What is the thing that God has proven himself faithful on time and time again, and perhaps your soul is weighed down today simply because you haven't brought that to God, just to say thank you, God, for what you've done. Just thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him for his provision. And your heart will grow in peace. Now there's one final step that Paul gives us. And I love the practicality of God's word. I love that the Bible is not like this ancient archaic document. It is a timeless, living and active word from God to change our lives. And Paul says this, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Now notice this list. Paul is going positive with this list. And there's always something in our lives to complain about. There's always something that is not right. There's always going to be an issue that I can gripe about. But Paul says there's also a list that is right in my life. So every season, in every trial, in every transition, in every moment of trouble, there is always good from God in my life. There's always something I can fix my eyes on to be filled with gratitude, to train my mind in truth. And Paul is giving us this powerful list. In fact, these words are worth writing down somewhere and to find them, to find what is true, to find what is noble. Sometimes if these words were my life, it would be find what is wrong, find what is ignoble, find what is not so lovely about your life. And Paul is saying, no, train your mind in this direction. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And then Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, in essence, telling them, I do this. I'm, I'm actually doing it from a prison cell. And because you've seen it in me, Paul says, put into practice. And there's a promise 
from God. And the God of peace will be with you. And notice this promise, two sides of it. There's the peace from God that comes when you come to him with your problem and you thank him for the solution. And there's a peace that comes from God when you fix your mind on what is true and right. So the third and final decision is to train my mind to camp in truth. To train my mind to camp in truth. Now, when it comes to camping, there are some of you that are really good at camping and you've got all the gear. You know, I love going camping with people who know how to camp. It's just awesome. And they have the gear. So it's like, can I borrow the gear? I've never been really good at camping. But you know, what's really interesting when it comes to camping is that usually we go camping, we go places. We, we tend not to camp inside of our house and we tend not to let people camp inside of our houses. But there are some moments where people get stuck in your house. You ever had that happen before? Maybe a roommate, maybe somebody that lived with you a little bit too long. You know what I'm talking about? How do you get them out of your house? You start charging them rent and they move really quickly. <laughs> True story. So when it comes to camping though, sometimes you, you, you think about, you, you wouldn't let somebody camp in your house and start a fire and throw their trash all over the place and just make a huge mess of your house. But isn't it true sometimes that you let other trash camp in your mind and you let lies from the enemy just swarm around and sometimes those lies are so destructive about God and destructive about you and destructive about your situation that you'll believe things in your mind and sometimes you'll entertain them and maybe not even check them at the door to recognize, should this even be in my mind? Should I even let this thought take up residence in my mind? And it's so helpful to recognize a thought. It's different, a thought is different than a belief. So just because you think it doesn't mean you have to believe it. So you can think it and not believe it. You can think it and tell it, get out. I don't receive you. Another way of looking at this, if you'll, in your notes, just draw four little boxes. And in the four boxes, four quadrants, if you go to the upper right quadrant, I want you just to write TP, not toilet paper, but TP. And that was funny for me, I liked it. Um, TP, and that TP stands for true positive. So I want you to write that in the top right corner. Bottom right corner, I want you to write TN, and that is true negative. And there are times in your life where there are negative things that are true. There are things that are not right. Now on the left side and the bottom left corner, I want you to write FN, false negative. And there are times where there are things that are not true about you and that you believe them. And then there are, at the top, there's false positive. So there are times where, you know, it's like if I looked in the mirror and said, you know what, I look good, I'm losing weight. Uh, that would be a false positive. So there are times where false positive is also in our mind. And what we wanna do when it comes to training our minds is we want to distinguish or discern a thought. So when a thought comes into my mind, I wanna actually take that thought and say, which of these four categories is that thought coming from? So when anxiety is looping in my mind, if I can put it in a box, it gives me clarity to solve the problem. And what I wanna do is there are times where there are things that are True, but they're negative. Hello, 10 spies in the book of Numbers. They're really big, the giants in the land. They're really, 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 really big. But Caleb, but Joshua spoke up and said, but yeah, if God is for us, who can be against us? So I wanna take that true negative and recognize, yes, yes, I hear you, I hear you. But there's a greater true positive that I will give my life to. I will be a person of faith and I will train my mind to camp on the faithfulness of God. 
is Jeremiah says in Lamentations, when I consider again God and his mercies that are new every single morning, I will dare to have hope again. So I've seen my misery, I know my problem, but I know there is a God that is for me for eternity who has been faithful and every day there's a new part of his mercy. So I will take that true negative and I will leverage it with a true positive and that's where I will camp with my mind. There's a power in this. And this is your responsibility. Nobody can do it for you. Dr. Phil can't, Oprah can't. No, nobody else can do it for you. Your pastor can't, your small group lead. You and I have to assume responsibility for what we put into our minds. And there's one last component of this, anxiety versus concern. Anxiety absorbs other people's responsibilities. So we take on what belongs to somebody else. And sometimes we're in unhealthy peop- healthy relationships where people wanna put their responsibilities on us and we absorb it. it produces anxiety, but concern fulfills my responsibility. Concern fulfills my responsibility. And I'll explain it like this. I saw this one time, preacher had a can, and on the can it said, God can. And that's all he had. And I liked it. I was like, that's good. There's some things that only God can do. And when I think about what God can do, the Bible is full, chock full of what God can do, his faithfulness. But as I looked at that illustration, I was like, you know, there's also another can. And that can is the stuff that I can do. And sometimes we get confused about what goes in God's can and what goes in my can. So there's stuff that only I can do and there's some stuff that only God can do. But the problem with my thoughts is so often for me, I don't know if this is true for you, my mind is already full. I've already got a lot of things that I'm thinking about. So I will often take things that go in God's can and I'll try to put them in my can and I just can't fit them in my can because my can is full and it wasn't intended to go in my can, it was intended to go in God's can. Now, what can happen is I'll obsess over God's can and then I abdicate my can. So it's like, well, if God would just do his job, but I've got a job over here. Let me explain it like this. You know, you ever met somebody when it comes to finances and they're struggling and they're like, oh, if I could just hit the lotto. Oh, it'd solve everything. All my problems would go away. If I could just get that increase or that bonus or if I could get an inheritance. I don't want anybody to die, but if I could get an inheritance, that would really solve all my problems. And that would be awesome, but it usually doesn't happen and that's not in my can or your can. But how about this? You can make a budget And you can tell your money where to go, you can save money, you can spend less, you can give back to God, you you can make a budget, and that's in your can or that's in my can. How about this, sometimes I have conversations with single guys and they're like, man, if God would just show me if stars would fall, if he would provide that perfect woman, I'm just waiting on the perfect one. And that's great, like God can, help you find a wife, but you know, one thing that you can do is you can shower. (laughs) I just have found women actually find men who shower much more attractive, so I can shower. You get the point, right? There are things that go in your can and there are things that go in God's can. And sometimes I'm thinking so much about taking care of my family, and as parents, this is so important. You know, now we live in a generation that is like hyper-protective, and you gotta have a helmet to go from the first floor to the second floor of the house. It's like, you're going upstairs, you got your helmet on? 
And now in our culture, we're so hyper-protective. But did you know that as much as I care about my kids and love my kids, there's one part of this that's in God's can, that's protection. And only God, only God can be the ultimate protector over my life, over your life. The psalmist says, in vain you rise early, in vain you stay up late, you watch through the night, and you toil in your own power. But God, he is the one who watches over the city. He is the one who builds the house. Only God is the protector. How about when it comes to taking care of our family financially and making sure everything works out? Yes, we can build a budget, but there's a part of it that is God can only provide. He's the only one who's the ultimate provider, and he's been faithful to provide for his people for thousands and thousands of years so I can give to God what belongs in God's can. It is God's can to provide for every need that we have that when we trust in him, he is faithful to care for us and help us. Here's another one. As I've stepped into my role, maybe some of you like me, you care what people think about you. And as I stepped into my role, I'm like, I, I, wonder, I wonder if they'll, they'll actually think I'm a good preacher. I wonder if they'll still come to church. I mean, they had Rick Warren for 42 years, and then they got me. Oh, my gosh. Stacy and I were talking the other day, and I got invited to be on this Christian podcast, and it, lots of listeners, and um, there was another person that was on there, and they were going through, like, their long list of resume, the books they've written, and, like, all the things that they've accomplished, and I said, you know, when I go on, they're going to say, Andy Wood, not very impressive, but somehow he ended up as the pastor of Saddleback Church, <laughs> and then she laughed, and he, she goes, yeah, that's so true, um, <laughs> so. so reputation, sometimes I can be concerned about reputation, and really, I, I can't control what other people think about me. That's, that's only God is responsible for reputation. But you know what I can do? I can actually live with integrity, and I can make wise choices, and I can listen to the voice of God and do everything I can to please him with my life. That's in God's can. I can make a decision to live with love, and I can stand on the patio and hug people and high-five and pray over people. And there are some things that only... God can do, and there's some things that only I can do. And as we wrap up today, this last week, I had a moment as I was reading through the scripture in Mark chapter 16, and I was so worried about a couple of challenges that I'm facing personally. And I got to this passage of scripture, and I felt like God gave me such a potent word that I wanna share with you, because there are times where you are worried about things that only God can do, and the miraculous power of God, the ability to heal the human heart, the ability to transform. God is a wonder-working God. He's a miracle-working God. And some of us today, we need a touch from God that we can't get programmatically, that we can't get from a seminar, that we need an intervention from the God of the universe. And when I read this word, I so deeply resonated with some of Jesus' early followers. In Mark chapter 16, it says it was early in the morning, Saturday evening when Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome, went out to purchase the burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Now this is after Jesus has been crucified. This is after his body has been laid into a grave. This is after he told them that he was the Messiah and they had fixed their hopes on him, and now hope is gone, hope is lost, hope is dead. 
and they're going to get these spices because they don't think he's coming back to life. They don't believe that resurrection is about to happen. And they're walking towards the tomb concerned about getting their spices on the dead body of Jesus. And it says, on Sunday morning, very early, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way to the tomb, they were asking one another this question, who will roll away the stone for us? Who's going to solve this problem? We want to get into the tomb so that we can put these spices on Jesus' body. And all along in their mind, they are trying to solve a problem that God from eternity already had a solution for. That the sovereign God of the universe had come from death to life. This was the very purpose of Jesus coming from heaven to earth, that he would die on a cross for the sins of the world, but not that he would just stay in a tomb, but three days later, he would kick death in the teeth and he would come back from death to life and there would be an angel that would greet them at the stone. And it says that when they got there, the next that morning as they walked to the stone, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away and the tomb was empty. There was no body inside the tomb. And the one that they were looking for was not dead. He was and is alive. So there's a thing that is in God's can and what's in God's can is resurrection. That God is the God of resurrection. God is the God that brings dead things to life again. God is the God that can take that dream and help you start dreaming again. God is the God that can resurrect your marriage. God is the God that can save your kid. God is the God that is able to deliver you from the darkest moment of your life. And the enemy wants to breathe over you. You're in a pit. And God is saying to you, no, there is light. There is hope for you. You're in a tunnel. And the faithful God of the universe is pushing you through. And he's on the other side. And resurrection power is available to you today if you will turn to him if you will come to him he's saying I am with you I am for you and I can do it on your behalf so may the God of peace fill you with hope as you trust in him so that you might overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit with hope and strength will you pray with me thank you that you are the God of hope that you are the God of peace. And in this broken world, in the midst of our struggle, we turn to you now, King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and we ask that you would fill our hearts with a peace that circumstances cannot provide. Thank you that you promise that you give us a gift of peace for our minds and our hearts. Now to everyone listening to my voice right now, I wanna invite you in this moment just to tell them what is that thing that you need to bring to him for his peace. Just lay it before him in your mind right now in this moment. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the peace that we find when we come to you. And we lay our burdens at your feet, King Jesus. Thank you that you are near, that you are here in this moment. We think about struggling marriages. We think about emptiness and loneliness during the holidays. We think about kids that we pray for we think about financial challenges. We, you are more than enough for every need that we have. And we lay it in front of you. Some of you today, that need that you have is salvation and you don't know with confidence that you have received God's salvation today. You can, by faith in Jesus and his death on a cross, 
and his resurrection from the dead, surrendering your life to him, you can begin a new relationship with God. And I wanna invite you right now in this moment to respond to his stirring in your heart and open your heart to him for the very first time and just tell him, I need you, I need you. Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you conquered the grave. Please forgive me for my past. I turn to you now in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Can we thank God today for his faithfulness? If you prayed that prayer, I wanna invite you to let us know. In fact, if you can pull out your connection card on the back, there's a place that you can indicate that you made a decision to say yes to Jesus. You can also text NEXT to 83000, and we wanna send you some resources. And now, in just a moment, we have an opportunity to respond to God in worship and take our next steps. Uh, you'll see on that connection card, or even you can go online uh, to our app or scan the QR code to take your steps. We wanna invite you to let us know what is that step that God is leading you to take. And on the back of the card, there's a place where you can let us know how we can pray for you. We pray for every one of these requests every week. And if you have something that's heavy on your heart, we wanna know that so that we can pray for you. And then also during this time, we're going to worship, we're gonna sing another song, and we're gonna have an opportunity to give back to God financially. And we're in a season right now of generosity. We're actually in the middle of an offering time between now and the end of the year, our Accelerate offering. And last week I delivered this message of all the different components, and I actually watched the message. So I pre-recorded it so I could be with my family Thanksgiving weekend, and I got to watch the message, and I had the thought as I was watching this message, um, and I thought, you know, somebody might be thinking, this guy's only been here eight weeks and he's already going for my wallet. I, I had that thought. And the next thought for me was, I, I really hope that they know my heart. I really hope that they know the reason that we're talking about all this is not, it's not about what I, or it's not about what God wants from you. It's about what we, it's about what God wants for you. And for the last 14 years as a pastor, and really for my whole journey of following Jesus, I have just seen so much blessing from God through trusting Him with generosity. I have seen his faithfulness over and over again. And I've watched now thousands of people in their journey spiritually trust God with their resources. And I've watched people as they give from a cheerful heart to the kingdom of God experience joy as they see the connection between their generosity and the kingdom of God moving forward. So that's our heart. That's my heart for you. So as the scripture says, I or we would never want people to give out of guilt or compulsion. We're not a church with our hand out. We are a church that is wanting what God has in store for you, his very best. So we invite you when we do it. It's all invitation to be a part of what God is doing here on planet Earth. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your home church. We do invite you to participate, but know our hearts as we do. So we're gonna go into a moment of response and we're gonna have an opportunity to drop those cards in if you're a guest with us. Uh, we wanna know that you're here with us. And then we're gonna do one other thing. So one last thing before I pray over us and we head into this song. Some of you, you have a burden that is so big that writing it on a card is not enough. And I wanna invite you to not leave here today with that burden in hand. And to do that, we've invited our prayer team during this song to come forward so that you can bring that burden to somebody physically and let them pray over you. And sometimes the physical act of praying with a brother or a sister 
can liberate us from our anxiety. I wanna invite you to do that to come forward. So will you stand with me? And I'm gonna pray over us as we enter into this moment. I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts as we respond to him. Father, thank you now that you are the God of peace. As we worship you, as we give our offerings, as we respond with our connection cards, as we step forward to receive prayer, God, let this act of worship be one that is pleasing to your heart. Thank you, Lord, that you are here with us, the God of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.